Revelation, the third chapter. I read the familiar message to Laodicea, verse 14. And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou art cold or hot. Have you noticed Jesus prefers a cold church to a warm church? He wants it to be boiling, but not lukewarm. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increasest goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold, or tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with thy salve, that thou mayest see. Then you'd think in the next verse, he'd say, As many as I love, I encourage and boast about and try to make it easy on them. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be boiling, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in to him and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Some time ago I was asked to speak at a Bible conference somewhere about evangelism as related to the Lord's return. And I said then that uh, any sensible and scriptural and spiritual position on evangelism depends on what position we take about the Lord's return. Our biggest business today is to discover God's program for us now. And our part in it, which way God's going and get going in that direction. Uh, we, we need to find out what Jesus is trying to do today. I think a lot of people are working at things he didn't even start out to do anyway. I heard of a woman that was getting pretty well along in age and never had got married. She went to the preacher and said, I'm concerned about it. And he said, well, I, uh, you know how it is. God's made marriage and one man for one woman. That's the way it is. And, uh, uh, you can't improve on that. She said, I don't want to improve on it. I just want to get in on it. <laughs> so I'm not trying to improve on God's plan and program. You can't do that. We've got no time, beloved, to chase up blind alleys and explore dead-end streets. We want to do what will do the most good in the best way in the shortest time. One life, only one, soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ to last. If we believe that this world is going to get better and better through preaching the gospel and education and social renovation and the improvement in government under Christian auspices until the world is in such good shape that Jesus will feel complimented to take over, then we've got a long ways to go. Because that's not the way it is. 
Now, I thank God for all the improvements we have today. I wouldn't want to go back to dirt roads, horse and buggy travel, and all that sort of thing. But uh, uh, we need to remember, beloved, that you can't improve this age by just improving the environment. When you're up to your ears in crocodiles, it's no time to discuss how to drain the swamp. We've got the greatest swamp draining projects on the day you've ever heard of, but they're not doing a thing about the crocodile, as it were. <clears throat> if Jesus come back today, and if we bring him in the kingdom, and we bring back the king, we need to get straight on the evangelism. Baptists talk a lot about bringing in the kingdom, but I don't hear much about bringing back the king. To bring the king back, you have the kingdom. He brought the kingdom when he came. And that we need to get straight on it. The last message gave, Jesus gave to the church was not the Great Commission. It was repent, the five out of seven. Now, <clears throat> people are different about what these uh, churches mean. Schofield Bible thinks that we have here church history all the way from the beginning to present time. Well, could be, I don't know, but we still have Ephesus, and we still have Pergamum, and Thyatira, and all the rest of them. And we have old Sardis, got a name to be alive, living, wide, wide awake church, dead as could be. And there are plenty of experts, you know, a <clears throat> mortician can make a dead man look better than he ever looked while he was living. Some of these church experts can do that temporarily, but still dead in the sight of God. But I'm only occupied tonight with Laodicea. <clears throat> the picture's there. And as I said, Jesus is rather a church be cold, make no pretense at all than to be warm. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse brought that out powerfully some years ago. And uh, the reason is that uh, cold or hot, you, you can feel either one. But if you're lukewarm, you're just comfortable. You'll never have a revival in a comfortable church. Never. They don't come to that kind. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's disturbing. You ever sat down for a quiet evening, <clears throat> had on your robe and slippers and got in your easy chair, came the knock and away went your quiet evening. Jesus wants to break up our quiet today in the church. And he wants to do it in the way that's mentioned here. Uh, the Bible is called a hammer, a fire, and a sword in the Scripture. And all three are disturbing. <clears throat> I live in motels. I don't know how I always get the room next to the one they're remodeling. <laughs> and I lie down and take a nap and it starts. Right at my head through the wall. I don't know how he knows where my head is. But, uh, and then uh, it's, it, it's distracting. And then fire, I got caught in a hotel fire in the Sheridan Hotel in Charlotte, and I was on the 11th floor, and the elevator stopped, and we had to get down in a hurry, and I didn't have anything on but raincoat and pajamas, and I got down there quick, and nobody else looked any better than I did either when I got down there, <laughs> because we were a motley crowd to look at, not pretty at all. Christian beings can be the most ornery-looking mortals before they fixed up a little bit. I tell you, I've got a view of humanity. <laughs> well, that's the way it goes, you know. These things are similar to swords, very disturbing. We don't know much about that, but we're going to know more, I think, as time goes on. 
I, I get alarmed. I like to walk over here beyond the college in that cemetery. And somebody said, you better not do it. Some of the girls had their pocketbooks stolen over there by these thugs that go creeping around. But I'm just not going to quit all the things I'd like to do because of these bums that are going around today. Uh, they may do it. They may clobber me sometime, but And I guess I ought to be careful. But have you noticed that when we have a great disaster, they have to call in the army to protect from looting? That means they break in, steal everything. Now, where were those looters before that happened? Well, they didn't come out of the woodwork. They'd been living around there all the time. And they're around us today. You don't know who they are, but they're all about. They didn't just have a special delegation to come there on that account. They were there. Jesus said, I send you a sheep among wolves. That's the crowd we're among today, wolves. And let's get over this lovey-dovey talking about how pretty everything is. It was pretty till the devil got into the picture. But uh, Jesus said, I want to disturb you that thou mayest. Have you noticed what he wants to do for him there in the 19th verse of that chapter? He said, I want you to uh, uh, be rich. They just said, we got money. This, this crowd had more money than any of the other churches. It was a banking center. Had lots of money, but poor in the sight of God. And he said, I want you to really get rich with gold right in the fire. And they, they lived in a clothing center in Laodicea, the finest wool made into garments. And Jesus said, I want you to have the real thing, the robes of God. Well, wardrobe and wisdom was the last thing. You say, we, we don't know need anything. We're all right. He said, you, you don't know what time it is. And according to my clock, the last message to the church ends where I believe the program for this age ends. And I like to call it the assembly of the anyones. Jesus said, I have come for one thing here. Behold, I stand at the door and knock at anybody, any man, anyone, it really says. Well, hear my voice and open the door. I'll come in. I'm starting a new church. Campbell Morgan says he, he excommunicated this church and started over with one man. I think Jesus Christ today is starting a new church inside of these that we have today. And uh, it's, it's very interesting to watch it. Uh, I don't think Baptists are going to learn the difference between revival and evangelism. Moody said one time, imagine him saying it, I sometimes think it's about time to give up preaching to the ungodly and preach to those who profess to be Christians. I'd rather wake up a slumbering church than arouse a sleeping world. That's what Moody said. Uh, today we have four days. I, this, I'm staying the longest if I make it eat two more nights. I don't know when I've had a meeting that long. And I guess I'll have to settle with it because it throws my travel program all crazy the last of the week because Thursday and Saturday I'm going somewhere. Friday's the only day I've got at home. Well, you can't get anything done then. But that's the way it goes today. What Jesus is doing today, he is, uh, what we're doing, we are mobilizing, not mobilizing, but we are mobilizing an unwieldy crowd in church today, and they have become our greatest embarrassment. We, our churches today can't reach their goal for stumbling and falling over their own membership. We're furnishing our own greatest interference, our own crowd. I looked at this fine crowd that's come from somewhere else here tonight. Uh, how, many, how many folks here tonight are not members of this church? 
I wish you'd look at that. That frightens me. Now I'm here for this church. I love this church. I come and they pay my keep, pay my fare here and all that. And I thank God for it. But I, It's this way everywhere proportionately today. And yet people who claim to be members of the church live within sight of it. Some of them don't come all week. It looks to me like we ought to get worried about that at least to do something about it. Finley Edge said, Christian history indicates the church has never changed the world by large groups of uncommitted members, but by small groups transformed and transforming. God begins with a few. The Bible has a lot to say about the few. Few there be that find it. God's not running up a lot of statistics. Billy Graham was asked the other day, if you were pastor of a large church in a principal city, what would be your plan of action? Well, now, you'll be surprised at what he said. I think one of the first things I'd do would be to get a group of eight or ten or twelve men around me, meet a few hours a week, and pay the price. It would cost them something in time and effort. I would share with them everything I have over a period of a couple of years. Then I would have trained twelve ministers among the laymen who would take on eight or ten more and teach them. I know one or two churches in the country doing that and they're revolutionizing the church. Christ set the pattern. He spent most of his time with 12 men. He didn't spend it with great crowds. Now think of this when Billy talks to more crowds than anybody ever has preached. In fact, every time he had a great crowds, there weren't many results. The great results that came to me were in his personal interviews and the time he spent with his 12. There's a man who hasn't got lopsided. He could have been carried away by these multitudes that come out to hear him preach. He's just like he was about it. And he realizes God's doing his main work today with a faithful Christian. And there aren't too many of them in any church. I think about my old daddy. He was faithful at old Corinth Church. Whether the preaching was good or whether it was not, he was there. When the weather was good and when it wasn't, he was there. When he felt like it and when he didn't, he was there. That was where he belonged. And uh, he was always dependable. And you could count on him. Our home was the preacher's home when they'd come to spend Saturday night before they preached on the fourth Sunday. We only had preaching once a month then. But uh, my father was one of the faithful few. And uh, when it got too uh, uh, rough for everybody else, he was in the fight. Well, he's taking out the people for his name, my Bible says. The world is not going to be converted. Nowhere is it taught that in the Word of God. He said, doesn't it say the time is coming when uh, the kingdom will be uh, full of the glory of the Lord? Yes, that's in the kingdom reign of our Lord. But I'm talking about this present age. He said, when I come back, will I even find faith on the earth? He said it. And Campbell Morgan said, I'm quite sure that the crisis of today will come with the personal advent of our Lord rather than by the triumph of the gospel and the conversion of the world. One of our leading Baptist educators said some years ago, uh, I'm sorry he said it, he said, uh, uh, there are people today who think that an enigmatical book's reference to an enigmatical period of a thousand years, that we must wait for that, and that Jesus is coming back to do by force what he couldn't do by the gospel. Uh, if that isn't the strangest ignorance of whatever Jesus came to do, 
He's bringing in the kingdom. Every time somebody gets saved, you add to the kingdom, but only those that get saved, not all those that join the church. And this present unwieldy mass of nominal Christians on the church rolls is making its impact, and mediocrity only produces more mediocrity. We need some dependables and some expendables who are willing to be the scum of the earth, a spectacle to the world for the offense of the crows. It's not to be confused with standing on Sunday and saying to the old rugged crows, I'll ever be true. It's shame and reproach gladly bear. And I have a nervous chill almost sometimes when I watch that crowd of well-fed, well-clothed, well-housed Americans singing that. Most of them don't even know what they're talking about. For the reproach of the old rugged cross, what is that? We need a core of dependables and expendables who will be a spectacle to the world for the offense of the cross and be called a scum of the earth. That's what the Bible says. It's not to be confused with this crowd singing about it every Sunday morning. We need to challenge this age, not with criticism of it but or conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of lives that are dedicated to the Spirit of God. The early church didn't turn the world upside down by having a liaison man over in Rome. They didn't do it by setting up a lobby in Jerusalem. They did it with a faithful few on fire, the three F's. That did it then, that'll do it now. The early church didn't change the evening service because it conflicted with the uh, gladiatorial contest over at the Colosseum. Today they say, well, you know, Thursday night or Friday night or whenever. That's baseball night, so maybe we better pull in on that. So we've pulled in. We've better run out of something to pull in with. Uh, I told you about that picture in the National Geographic magazine. This is a picture of the Colosseum where Christians died once for what we now take for granted. That's well said. There was a time when they stood there in that... Uh, catacomb in those catacombs with hands uplifted I profess Jesus as my Lord I confess him as my Lord and Master we're thrown out to the lions next day they didn't throw us out to the lions I don't know what's coming it's time to go on like we're going now but uh, Christ died for what we now take for granted we're passing resolutions when we ought to be starting revolutions uh, we're singing uh, and swinging from rigor mortis to St. Vitus we're afraid we'll create a stir I've heard of, I heard of a fellow who got one of these dead churches some time ago got a little mixed up in his figures of speech said Lord if there should be any fire in this meeting please water that spark well I think that's the way some of them are feeling about it today they don't want much of a spark in the fire we must begin with the master's minority uh, when I grew up, I knew what kindling wood was. These kids don't know how to make a fire now the old-fashioned way. I had to get the wood ready and bring it in, have the back log ready, the kindling wood and the middle-sized wood, get up next morning, seemed like 2 o'clock, was a little later, go in and make a fire in there. And I learned early that it meant a lot to have kindling wood, little stuff, set it on fire. The little folks can mean a lot in this world. The little churches mean a lot. You couldn't keep going. The Baptists couldn't if you take out the little churches. We talk a lot about the big ones. But it's these faithful preachers whose names never get in the books and in the records have a rough time of it. They're going to be a big shakedown and a big shaking up in glory when we get over there. 
Some you never heard of here is going to be put up at the top and some of the others are going to come down. Some are riding horses and others walking on the ground. The Bible says the Lord is going to switch that crowd. And it's going to be rather remarkable. I had a meeting in a little town in Florida some years ago. Got there and had a cancellation of another meeting. And the members of this church, this little bitty place, said, well, you're here. Why don't you come over to our place? Well, we had a fair meeting. Not anything to brag about, but you know the young people. The young people, after we ended it, they started meeting Saturday night in an old deserted schoolhouse for prayer. They sang a song or two. And it, the crowd got bigger every night. And uh, one woman didn't like my preaching at all. Her boy came with his girlfriend, got saved one of, one of those nights. And Mama had to change her mind about everything. Decided this wasn't so terrible after all. But here were a bunch of kids taking the revival in their own hands. And they outdid us because they did have something going on over there. I thank God for young people today. I wouldn't get a move some places at all if it wasn't for young folk. They're still movable. They will get up and go forward and do something that they're asked to do. Uh, you say, well, uh, I don't know. God doesn't have any favorites, does he? I said, no, he doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates. He's got people who know him better than other folks do. I know some of them. They weren't old big preachers. Some of them are the plainest folks you've ever heard about. Some of them were old grandmas, but they knew Jesus. And that's what counts after all. Oh, my friend, uh, uh, we, we, we need to get back to this. I'm thinking about uh, facing sin in our own lives. Lord, make me what I ought to be. Remember that he comes in as the guest. But when he comes in, you're to make him the host. Well, how is it at your house? Have you got a home or just got a house? And what do you do with Jesus all over the week? You take him home on Sunday, do you? Bring him out on Sunday. What does he do all week? Do you put him at the head of the table? I heard of a family that decided they'd better do that. So they put an empty chair, vacant chair, at the table, said, no, don't anybody sit in there, and that's the Lord's chair. And you know, it began to have an effect. Dad would come in dog-tired from work, sometimes a little bit out of sorts. You see that chair? He said, we got company. Can't see him, but he said he'd be here and with his people. And... Uh, Mom would be worn out. It'd be been a rough day with the kids, and they'd been difficult. And then she saw the chair. And she said, well, I better be more patient with them, I guess. Jesus is here. And the kids, it sobered them down. And they got too boisterous. Maybe you ought to, maybe you ought to put an extra chair in there somewhere. I think about a precious dear woman who lived for Jesus and... She was an invalid and wasn't expected to live. And she had a, a chair right beside the bed and wouldn't allow anybody sitting there. She said, that's the Lord's chair. She said, I like to feel like that he's there and I can talk to him. It helps me to realize his presence a little bit and I lie here by myself. And when one morning the nurse had to come out and report that she'd gone on, I asked her, well, what happened? Well, she said, 
She seemed to be about as usual. I went out for a few moments. Came back. She'd take no for heaven. She said everything was like it usually was except that her hand was lying out on the chair. See what I mean? Used to that. Now don't wait till death overtakes you for that. I'm just thinking tonight, here we are, we've got half a crowd of, and over, crowd of folks, and I thank God for it. I have queer meetings. It's this way everywhere. I've been around a long time and thank God for the friends, and they've heard me, and they've read my books, and so on, they come. And then you've got, it's hard, it makes it difficult, because sometimes the local folks in the church, they feel a little embarrassed because they've got so many strangers there. And the strangers, they don't feel at home because they don't know all these other folks there. And I feel like saying, forget it, if we're in the family of God. Let's wake up to what this is all about anyhow. And I'm trying to increase this crowd of the assembly of God today, the real one, and the church within the church, the CWC, I call it. I'm not a pastor, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a Bible teacher, I don't know what I am. But I'm just gaining people for the assembly of God. And uh, uh, I'm trying to get some folks to be willing to be God's kindling wood. And I hope that somebody will get a few coals tonight and take it back to wherever you came from, start a fire. Start one your church. Some folks won't like it. They won't, you know, we've always got a few, Lord, help them. Won't everything's done just like it's always been done. And they died an unnatural death. Some of them years ago, they're dead. I don't know why they want them. But I want to see a fire break out in some of our churches such as I've not seen in a long time. And you be the one who hears the voice. And he said, uh, I've come to disturb you. I pray that you will remember that God saved you to be God's kindling wood. When I was in high school a long time ago, we had a little song. My name is Jimmy Johnson. They come from Kalamazoo. I'm selling kindling wood to get along. Now, if you want to help me, just buy my kindling wood. For I'm selling kindling wood to get along. Well, I, I never have forgotten that little old song. I said, I'm selling kindling wood these days. Trying to get a few folks. If I could get this many Christians here tonight to catch on fire for Jesus. That's all it takes. God's not waiting for a great big crowd. I've already said he starts with a few. Few there be that find it. Many are called, but few are chosen. He didn't have many here. There's another song about him at the door, too. Oh, Jesus, thou art standing outside the fast-closed door in lowly patience waiting to cross the threshold door. Shame on us, Christian brothers, his name and sign who bear. Oh, shame, thrice shame on us to keep him standing. Jesus is not doing what he wants to do today with us. And it's because we're outnumbered within our own churches by those who don't think it's worth the effort. We're snowed under any organization that would try to get somewhere with that many that wouldn't take any interest in be out of business. You couldn't run any business on the face of the earth with that many disinterested members. You've got to give time and effort to it. And somehow you think the church is self-perpetuating. No, it isn't. He said, as many as I love, I rebuke. And I chasten. He's talking to his own people. 
and he's talking to us today. How much time do you give to him? Have you let him be the host at your house? Have you put him in charge of your home? That's why you have so much trouble. He's not in charge sometimes. How about your business? Do you ever take him into your business? If you've got a business that you can't honor Jesus, then you better go out of business. There. Whatever it costs. Uh, what about your social life? Who do you prefer to run with? You can tell a lot about people by whose company they like to be in. Now, how much time do you give to television compared to what you give to your Bible and to prayer? That waiting on God. Now that'll bring a great big ouch from the average church member today. We, we, we expect the church to perpetuate itself. It's not going to do it. Except this. So I, I, I'm working on, we've got some of that few here tonight. And if you could, if you, don't wait till something big happens. Start with a few and do the little thing. If you can't do the big thing, but do something in the name of Jesus Christ. Let your light shine. Don't shine it. Don't go around and say, I want you to know I'm a Christian. I'm blinding them. Just let it shine. They'll find out if you are one. The word will get around if you're living for Jesus. Just be one. Soul of the earth. Just be the soul. Jesus didn't save us to put us in soul uh, cellars for uh, everybody look at it. He's going to put us in soul shakers to distribute us. Shake us into the carcass of a decaying humanity. That's not easy to do. Years ago, when uh, one of our greatest evangelists was preaching in those days, and uh, he uh, Charles M. Alexander was reading the saying, and Dr. Wilbur Chapman was preaching. And uh, they had a woman singing who was a very remarkable person. One night they gave an invitation for him to come down to the mourner's bench. And uh, Charlie Alexander was leaning over the pulpit watching. And some poor old soul, some soft, some drunk woman, in an awful condition, not dressed for church, came, fell like a sack of lead at the morning's bed. And Alexander looked at her and said, well, whoever she is, she's had it. Then he looked over to the left, and here came an elegantly dressed young lady wearing a meat coat, very essence of refinement came and knelt beside this poor wretch, put her arm around her, pink coat and all. Charlie looked down and I said, whoever she is, she's somebody. He went down and met her, fell in love with her and married her. I don't blame him. She's the daughter of a candy maker in England, wealthy, but a Christian, oh, what a Christian. And that mink coat didn't make a bit of difference and that poor shot. Most folks have said, well, she's got no business coming to church like this. Well, she looks awful. No, no. That's the kind of people Jesus came to seek and to save. And uh, it makes a difference. I, I find that sometimes, you know, we, we draw in our skirts, as we say a little bit, before some folks and don't 
so much compassion and we ought to be ashamed of ourselves. The place is full, the whole neighborhood is full of folks, some of them in that city. Make good timber if they ever get saved. Some of them make the best timber you ever sold. Old Mike Davis is one of them. Sandy Cove Bible Conference. I never saw a guy like him so weighed 300 pounds and a beard and he looked huge and he wanted to pray with me and wanted to walk with me and I didn't know who he was and didn't know whether he was okay or not first. I don't know who this guy is. I don't know what he is. You know? But he wanted to be with me. And I said, well, now, you better watch this. One thing I could use him for, that's such a crowd getting into dinner, I'd always put him in front. I said, go ahead now, Father. You talk about the Red Sea opening up before Moses. It opened up before me when 300 pounds went in ahead of me. But I found out he had it. He'd been the worst shot you ever heard of. His wife had left him. He'd been in an awful condition. You name it, he'd done it. And then God saved him. Sometime before and he loved to pray. And I had a sermon on as he is, so are we in this world, that he just loved it. He's running a rescue mission now in Pennsylvania. And sent me the other day, had some new stationery printing, and across the top of every one of them, he's had it put, uh, as he is, so are we in this world. I don't like to have to live in motels and all this. I said, I like the woods. I grew up in the woods. Some people think I would never come out. I grew up in the woods. And uh, I, I like to be quiet. Went over to my graveyard over here and walked today. Nearly froze today. Yesterday. Almost staying in the house. So I decided to give it a try today. And uh, they say it's sort of dangerous. But uh, I, I like that. I, I like to be alone an awful lot. I said... Uh, let me walk in the fields. He said, no, live in the town. I said, there are no flowers there. He said, no flowers but a crown. And I said, Lord, there's no music there. There's only music in den. He said, and he wept as he sent me back. He said, there's more, there's sin. Because there is, you have to go where you don't like to go. Put up with things you don't like and be lonely. Wake up in the middle of the night and wonder what would happen to you if you hadn't there and nobody knows you're there. And all that sort of thing. I don't like it. God didn't call me to like it. He called me to do it. Are you, are, do you know anything about the reproach of the old rugged cross? You can bear it anywhere. If you live for Jesus, you, you'll soon face the devil. He'll make it uncomfortable for you. How about your home? Have you let Jesus in? What room's he in? Have you given him the run of the house? Is there anything God wants you to do? You've been arguing. I had people come here last night, say wonderful things, and the night before, about a battle they'd been fighting, and they decided to say yes to Jesus Christ. That's what I'm after. I don't know what to do tonight about this. I could have you to march down the aisle, but that wouldn't amount to much unless you kept on marching for Jesus. And uh, shaking my hand, that's not it. You got more folks here than when John Wesley was converted. More folks here than when Spurgeon was converted. We we were so used to thousands, we think nothing's going to happen unless you got five thousand people there. God does great work with the people. And you're one of them. He wants to use. Is there anybody here tonight?
to be willing to let Jesus take over in your house. He's not done it. Let him take over and uh, be the host. Not the guest to be brought out on Sunday. Consult him about what you ought to do. He'll show you what to do. Anybody here tonight that would like to do that? I'd like for us to stand and sing just the closing verse. Well, maybe the first one. Have thine own way, Lord. You know it better. We're not going to drag out the meeting unless God leads differently. I'd like to see God start something that we'd have to change our plans about. Take time. We're here for as long as it takes. Uh, I'm not watching the clock, but we're not going to fool around and just uh, look impressive. Is anybody here, would you like to come down and say, Brother Heaven, I do claim to be a Christian. I'm afraid Jesus is not very real to me. I have trouble with that. Why doesn't Jesus seem more real to me? I, he's more like a fairy tale, more like Santa Claus. Uh, it's all in the imagination. I don't feel the reality of Jesus. He told how to do it, John fourteen twenty one. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and I love him, and my Father loveth him, and I will make myself real to him. That's what one of the translations says. If you want Jesus to be real, start doing what he said. I will make myself real. Let's sing that first verse and stand and sing. Anybody, and I said, Preacher Abner, God's convicted me about that very thing tonight. I'm not letting my light shine, not even in the home like it. Maybe you've got, maybe everybody's not united in the home. There's one that sees it different and that rubs things the wrong way. Or maybe you're having a problem with your Sunday school class or whatever it is. You're bothered about your church. Let's pray for the church. But start with ourselves. Is he the host or is he just the guest?